Hi there, and welcome to our latest episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. If you've tuned in before, you'll know that, look, this episode is just one of a series of podcasts brought to you by the Facebook group, The Room and Room, proudly supported by our loyal sponsors, PGG Rights and Seeds. Look, my name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a veterinarian and a nutritionist based here in Lincoln, Canterbury in New Zealand. What we're going to be focusing on in this latest episode is different approaches to designing the diet of springing dairy cows to reduce the risk of hypocalcemia, low blood calcium in cows through and immediately after calving. Low blood calcium, sometimes you may be more familiar calling that milk fever. And milk fever is a bit of a loose term, but yeah, in this case, we're talking about low blood calcium challenges just before, during, and immediately after your cows calve down. Those of you listening in from places other than New Zealand and parts of Australia where we do call our Springer dairy cows exactly that, I guess we better translate that to say, well, what on earth, Charlotte, do you mean by the term a Springer or Springing dairy cow? Essentially, what it is, is a dairy cow in the stage of the reproductive cycle that last two to three weeks of gestation or pregnancy, or in other words, two to three weeks before she calves through to the point that she actually calves. Now, this latest episode is going to cover off exactly what's happening with our spring and dairy cows as she approaches calving, specifically with regard to the calcium metabolism of these springer cows. Clearly, as we head towards calving, our springer cows have a huge number of other nutritional needs in that period heading up until calving other than calcium. So specifically here we're talking about or thinking about energy, protein, magnesium and of course all of those trace minerals that are really important particularly for uh, the immunocompetency of the cow, in other words her ability to prevent disease given that she's going to be starting to lactate and of course after calving that her uh, reproductive tract is wide open to the outside world for a while. So immunocompetency or an ability to fight disease is reliant on things specifically to do with selenium and, and iodine. Uh, copper is a very important component there. And also the what we call fat-soluble vitamins, specifically vitamin A and E for immunocompetency, and the other fat-soluble vitamin of greatest interest that is to do with calcium metabolism, which of course is vitamin D. Clearly, we are not going to nail all of that stuff in one podcast. Uh, good luck to me and to you having to, to battle through that. So what we're going to do is, uh, as the expression says, small bites to eat an elephant, the small bite about this period of time heading up until calving that we are going to cover off in this particular episode is about calcium metabolism for the spring of cows. Now, of course, yes, our usual standard disclaimer that we do need to mention before kicking off this latest podcast is, of course, that as for the other Room and Room podcasts, these are intended to provide some very generic information for you. And, of course, we have to apply our disclaimer alert here, if you'd like. You know the drill. 
Therefore, the content of the podcast um, that we're about to cover is never, ever intended to replace the excellent advice and guidance from your very own veterinarian. And often you will have a qualified dairy nutritionist involved with everything to do about the nutrition of your Springer dairy cows through calving and then into the colostrum and then lactation period. So needless to say, if you are currently dealing with an ongoing challenge of low blood calcium that's resulting um, in clinical milk fever, downer cows, cows that go down and can't get up on their own before, through and after calving, it's an absolute given. By all means, feel free to tune into this podcast, but please do speak with a degree of urgency to your veterinarian and get them involved with not only the necessary diagnostics around defining what is going on, because quite often it's not to do with straight low calcium. There's other things in play at the same time. We're going to talk about that. And of course, your veterinarian and perhaps in conjunction with your qualified dairy nutritionist will be able to put in place a plan to start to reduce the risk of your cows having issues with low calcium heading into calving. Let's now move into this topic of calcium metabolism for spring and dairy cows. Well, in terms of what are we going to talk about, we'll cover a few things uh, in this podcast. First up, we're going to run a bit of a, a reminder that you're probably already very familiar with around the basics of calcium metabolism and why does milk fever occur or when we talk about milk fever, otherwise known as what's called hypocalcemia. And if we take that word hypocalcemia, what we mean is hypo, which is low, calcemia, which is simply calcium in the blood before, during and just after calving. Now, of course, this topic is, as we mentioned before, about low calcium. But when we start to delve into the number of different reasons for why cows go down with low blood calcium around calving time and heading into cal uh, calving and just after calving, this can reflect a wide range of contributing factors. So again, just saying this is why it's really, really worthwhile on getting some blood tests done and getting your vet involved to do this, specifically not necessarily getting bloods from the downer cows themselves, but getting your vet to take some samples from a representation of Springer cows, colostrum cows and early lactation in milk cows that are now contributing to milk in the vat. Your vet will have their own spin on what they would like to look at there and of course follow your vet's advice. And mentioning also the importance of these blood tests is to understand whether you have a simple case of low blood calcium or, and this is more likely the case, that the low blood calcium is occurring in conjunction with, in other words, in association with issues such as low blood glucose, which most often we define as ketosis because you've got high blood ketones because the blood glucose levels are low. As well as that, we may have very low levels of magnesium and possibly in some cases, and if you go back to the specific podcast to do with magnesium metabolism that was recorded in 2022, we can also have issues not only of low uh, magnesium contributing to more milk fever or low blood calcium, but also we can overdo it too much of a good thing with too much magnesium going to the spring of dairy cows. So your vet can detect both low and high blood magnesium that may be contributing to your low blood calcium issue in your springers and cows at calving. And of course, the other one to throw in there also 
is phosphorus metabolism. And whilst you may pick up low blood phosphorus in cows immediately around calving when low calcium levels are also present, your vet will be able to talk you through that actually that's quite normal. And in many cases, when we're investigating the contribution of dietary phosphorus in the spring of dairy cows to calcium, it's more relevant to actually feed test the components of the springer diet and look for phosphorus metabolism um, issues arising from that. For example, we don't like to have very high levels of phosphorus going to springer cows because ironically that can cause milk fever. We're going to leave out discussions around ketosis and phosphorus We'll briefly make mention of magnesium as we go, but I guess the long convoluted uh, take home, if you'd like, here is that it's very rare nowadays to have a very simple, uncomplicated issue of low calcium in your springers, and likely it's tangled up with those other issues we've just mentioned. So... Essentially, the remainder of this podcast is going to focus very much on milk fever in its own right, or hypocalcemia, and when we're just going to leave those other issues behind. Coming back to the basics of calcium and why dietary calcium going to your springer cows is very, very important for those springer cows. Well, we can go back to high school chemistry and dust off anything that's left in the old memory bank. You might remember the um, the periodic table, you know, that had all the different minerals there and, and their uh, molecular weight and all that sort of stuff. Boring as, learn them for an exam and promptly forget them. But anyway, you might recall that calcium certainly did appear on the periodic table. But essentially from the cow's point of view, she doesn't care about the periodic table. But what she cares about is that she needs calcium for a whole range of reasons and that's not just for putting calcium into the milk as she's springing heading through calving and into early lactation probably the first and most important thing you'll be aware of probably as kids or telling your own kids for sure calcium is a really important part of growing and maintaining the skeleton and teeth of the cow of us uh, of all of the mammalian species when we combine calcium together with other things such as phosphorus and also connective tissue, largely collagen, together to make bone and teeth. When we're talking about the topic of bone and teeth, the overall complete amount of calcium found in the body of a cow, about 98% of that calcium is found within the skeleton and the teeth. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how when she has a very high demand for calcium, she needs to set up some metabolic processes to start to extract calcium from the skeleton and the teeth and the importance of that with her ability to maintain blood calcium particularly immediately after she calves that point we are going to come back to 98 percent of calcium bones and teeth where is the remaining two percent of calcium found floating around in the body of the cow well they are found within the fluids of the cow not limited only to within the blood but also uh, contained in extracellular fluids uh, and calcium pools found around the body of the cow. So yeah, take home there is that most of it's in the skeleton and teeth. 
Essentially, calcium contributes a whole lot more than um, holding a cow up with a skeleton because, of course, nobody wants a boneless cow slithering around on the pasture. No, we don't want that. So, yes, it is important. But aside from making a cow being able to stand up with a solid skeleton and protecting internal organs, look, that calcium does a heap of other important things. It's important for transmitting nerve impulses along neurons, along nerves and across um, junctions between nerves and between nerves and muscles. But as well as that, calcium is really important to make sure that the muscles of the cow can contract and allow the cow to move around and do her very important thing, which is why when you see a cow that is down on the ground with simple milk fever, uncomplicated milk fever or low blood calcium. She's very weak, isn't she? She's uh, She's got a very dry nose. If you wiggle her tail head a- around, you know, the tail itself is, doesn't tighten up in response to being wiggled. It's, it's very flaccid or very um, relaxed. And of course, if she has a head back on her flank, the reason her head is back on the flank is that she doesn't have the strength in the muscles to hold her head out straight. And if you gently grab her by her nose and swing her head around off her flank and out in front of her, we'll quite often see that classic S-bend in the neck, which of course again is that there's not enough muscle tone to hold her neck out strongly and straight. So that illustrates very clearly the importance of calcium and the role that it plays in making sure muscles work. Now, as well as that, uh, calcium is important in the musculature of the heart, and that's why if you put a stethoscope on and listen to their heart, it sounds very faint. It's not contracting uh, very strongly, and it's beating very quickly, so it's very doof, 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 very quiet. And in fact, if you use a stethoscope, or even if you put your hand between uh, the ribs on the left-hand side behind your left elbow as you're running calcium into the jugular vein when you're treating a milk fever cow, you'll actually feel the heart slow down and come back pumping a lot more strongly, which is a sign that the calcium's working. Again, kind of going off topic here, but it is an important aspect around the importance of calcium for muscles of the musculoskeletal system that allow a cow to get up from when she's down and to walk around and graze and uh, make herself well again and that cardiac muscle that makes the heart pump. Uh, Back on track for calcium requirements specifically for the Springer dairy cow before she calves. Well let's take this into two bite-sized chunks about why Springer cows need calcium heading into calving. Well first up we obviously have inside your Springer cows the unborn calf, who is rapidly undergoing final maturation and growth prior to being born. And that final maturation is involving deposition or laying down of calcium into the skeleton of that calf. So there goes the first need for our Springer cows. She needs to be sharing the calcium uh, that is going in from the diet, or perhaps she's starting to mobilise before calving to supply the final uh, calcification into the skeleton of her of wee baby inside. And then the second main requirement for calcium for Springer cow, particularly in those last few days, is of course when she's furiously secreting colostrum. So the secretory cells inside her udder are, are producing a lot of that very nutrient-dense colostrum in readiness for calving. Now calcium is a very important component 
obviously, of vat milk, but it's particularly important for colostrum because the colostrum packs a real uh, extra punch, if you'd like, as far as calcium content goes. So if we said for a Holstein Friesian cow, a true black and white cow, her mid-lactation milk might contain, say, 1.1 grams of calcium per every litre of milk. And what about the colostrum? You might wonder, how much more calcium can we expect to see in the colostrum of a Holstein Friesian cow? Well, it's about double the content of the calcium found in mid-lactation milk. So yeah, you heard that right. First milk colostrum, your gold colostrum, whatever you want to call it, is a very excellent source of calcium for the newborn calf, about double the amount of mid-lactation milk. If we look at cows that produce more uh, litres of colostrum, well, clearly they will need more calcium. But also, interestingly enough, if your herd has a real ability to produce a lot of milk protein that's driven largely by milk casein, cows that produce more milk casein have higher concentrations of calcium both in their milk and their colostrum. So given the genetics of New Zealand dairy cows have been selected strongly for higher concentrations of milk protein and therefore casein um, because we're seasonal supplied and uh, a lot of our milk isn't for liquid consumption but rather goes into uh, butter and cheese and the like. Well, especially for the cheese, where you have a lot of milk casein and milk, you also have a lot of calcium more so than low milk protein cows. So yeah, long story short, high producing cows and those that have higher milk protein and milk casein will need more uh, calcium to support colostrum, but also transition and then vat milk. And of course the other New Zealand specific thing about calcium requirements is of course the genetic makeup of our cows here in New Zealand with not so much of the traditional Holstein Friesian cows, but rather having a lot of Kiwi Cross, uh, a lot of uh, juicy genetics and the Jersey and Kiwi Cross cows have more calcium in their milk per litre compared to Holstein Friesian cows. And that, of course, will also increase calcium demands as cows are springing because, of course, Kiwi Cross cows and Jersey cows have more calcium in colostrum compared to Holstein Friesian cows. Clearly, because of the calf and the secretion of colostrum, we now know that springer cows, as they approach calving, have an increasing demand for calcium as she gets closer to calving. You might be thinking, perhaps if you're new to the industry and you're not yet up to date with some of the golden rules about how we manage springers, you might go, well, okay, Charlotte, we can just feed a a heap of calcium to our springers and that'll sort it for the calf's bone mineralisation and the amount going into the udder. Now, technically, on paper, at a single point in time, you're right, we, we could just chuck a heap of calcium at cows and in theory, that sorts out the springer needs. But this is where things can come unstuck. So just going back to that um, point that if at a single point in time, yes, we could chuck lots of calcium at a springer cow, she'll be okay. But the springer cow is not going to be a springer cow for much longer. And as soon as she calves, she immediately has a much greater amount of calcium that she needs in the diet as a colostrum cow after you milk her for the first time than what she can mobilize from her bones um, or get clever at absorbing more from the diet. So that springer cow is not in a steady state. Before you know it, she's going to be tight 
in the udder, uh, chocker full of colostrum. All those ligaments are softening around a tailhead and pelvis and, you know, with a vulva all loosening up and she's going to be calving. So essentially the Springer cow is, is going through quite a remarkable metamorphosis, if you'd like, right here in front of us. And next minute she's calving and then finally that neonatal calf is up and suckling and ultimately we're milking her out for the first time. So back to the Springer cow, yes we can supply enough calcium to, uh, to support her day to day needs before she calves, the problem is once she heads into that first stage of parturition, or in other words giving birth, few things go on here, she forgets to eat much at all in terms of no matter what you offer her, she's not going to eat much over that 24 hour period before she calves, she's too busy thinking about calving down, a lot of hormonal changes going on and whatnot. So there's less of all nutrients going into that Springer cow right at the point of calving. Now that's total dry matter, it's energy, it's protein, magnesium, calcium, it's everything. So typically the cow right at the point of calving is what we call in, in a negative nutrient balance around calving because that cow's simply not eating enough at the point of calving. So there's the first crisis point that we meet in terms of the dietary intake of all nutrients, including dietary calcium, is crashing out at calving just when she needs it the most. If we crunch those numbers around calcium demand uh, for a cow that's just calved down in front of you right at this very minute, essentially the blood calcium status was okay while she was in the springer mop because while she needed it for mineralization of the calf skeleton and the colostrum, it wasn't a huge demand. And the problem is, is that cow that's just calved in front of you and uh, essentially the calf's up suckling and then we take it back to the shed and milk her out for the first time, that calcium demand on a daily basis increases four to five times more than what her demand was in the springer mob. So it's massively amplified. So let's say uh, we've now got that cow in the shed. You know because you've milked her into a bucket in a smaller dairy herd, she's yielded, let's say, a decent 10 litres of a really good quality gold colostrum. And we're keeping the math simple by saying 10 litres. And let's say, again, keeping the math simple, that each litre of that 10 litres contains, oh, I don't know, 2.2 grams of elemental calcium per litre. Again, simple calculation here is that if she's done 10 litres times 2.2 grams of calcium, well, wow, that's 22 grams of elemental calcium removed at just that very first milking. Now, you might be saying, oh, well, that, that's cool. She's got calcium in her blood and, and, and her extracellular fluids because, you know, you, you, you took that on board when we mentioned that before. The problem is, and this is a number crunching, goes a bit haywire, is that of all of that calcium that's bobbing around, floating around in her blood and those extracellular fluids, do you know how much is in there compared to the 22 grams that's just been milked out at the first milking? If we add up all of the elemental calcium that's readily available to the cow in her blood and in her extracellular fluids, there's about 5 grams. Whoops, we've just removed 22. Now, no matter what we do and expect a cow to have a crazy good appetite and eat a lot as a colostrum cow eating partially of dusted with lime flour, there's no way she's going to be able to replenish that Unless things are working well that we're going to move on to next, that cow is going to go down. So this is where, given we can give that colostrum cow as much lime flour as we can, as much grass as we can, 
and the Colostrum Cow Management is Worthy of another podcast as a standalone podcast, so we're going to probably do that again over the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, coming back to the Springer, what we need to do is well before that calf is on the ground and we're milking the cow out for the first time, we need to set up our Springer cows uh, their ability to rapidly replenish the calcium that we've just um, put cups on and milked out with that 10 litres of gold colostrum uh, because there's no way that we're going to be able to sort that blood uh, calcium level out unless Mother Nature is helping us out uh, with an ability to quickly uh, replenish that calcium back into the blood. Now the good thing is here is that Mother Nature, we just mentioned before, Thankfully, uh, Mother Nature has actually designed our cows to handle themselves really well in most situations, the ability to rapidly get extra calcium replenished back into the extracellular fluid in the blood. Otherwise, those cows are going to go down. Now, good old Mother Nature, she's actually got a number of different mechanisms that come into play for the cow uh, during the springer period, two to uh, three weeks before calving, through calving and then uh, as a colostrum cow. Now, because there's different mechanisms that are in play, this is why when you talk to your dairy nutritionist, when you talk to your vet, when you go to seminars or roadshows where people are talking about different ways to prevent milk fever, this is why there are different approaches that different uh, rural professionals working with you will advise and this is why we're going to go into the different mechanisms to explain why there's not one single way to prevent milk fever when we're looking at springer cow management. So let's look at the key ways that Mother Nature has in a natural way uh, designed to help maintain a cow's blood calcium levels up to where it needs to be and then hopefully from that uh, we will then step into some different strategies that you can talk to your vet or qualified nutritionist about. I guess the first thing that these different uh, mother nature mechanisms and therefore practical strategies we can implement on farm, the probably the n- number one thing they all have in common is all of them start in the springer mob. So in other words, when we're looking at perhaps you've got 10% of cows that are going down essentially as soon as they've calved or perhaps after you've milked them for the first time in the colostrum mob, we need to back up the bus from a timeline point of view of management and understanding of what was happening back in the springer mob. Now as we discussed uh, earlier on, springers themselves do have that demand for calcium that we can easily keep up with from a nutritional management point of view. But because of that metamorphosis, if you like, that massive change that happens when she calves, we tend to then see the proverbial wheels coming off at calving, that the cow can't get enough readily available calcium um, back into her blood to keep her standing up. So we do need Mother Nature's clever calcium metabolism stuff to help us out. So let's look at some of the mechanisms and probably start off with a couple of the key ones uh, that will help keep your cows upright and well through calving. Well, first up, let's go back to that magic number of 98% of Uh, or even 99% of the the calcium in your cows is stashed away as part of a skeleton in the teeth. So remembering that point. Now, surely, good good old our friend the cow, surely if she has got low blood calcium that her various mechanisms for monitoring this are detecting, surely she can mobilize some of that calcium out into the blood to replenish the calcium that's been milked out, say up to 22 grams of elemental calcium that's been removed when there's only about 5 grams floating around in the blood and the extra um, cellular stuff. Well, in 
pa- in theory on paper. Uh, your cows can, in theory, do that. But of course, the sudden drain on calcium when a cow calves and is milked for the first time is exactly that. It is sudden. There's a massive, sudden, precipitous drop in blood calcium. And the problem here is that while Mother Nature has designed the ability for the cow to extract not only calcium out of her bones and teeth, but also to ramp up the efficiency with which calcium is absorbed from the small intestine. Now that in theory works, but the problem here is that in many cases, these um, ramping up of getting extra calcium back into the blood can actually take hours through to many days to kickstart and therefore to keep the cow on her feet. So if the various metabolic processes that are needed to release some of the calcium from the bones haven't been used for a while, so they've got lazy, those processes to uh, get calcium out of the bones, and are lazy and we milk out our friend the colostrum cow this morning, those bones will not immediately act to release calcium. So that colostrum cow goes down uh, with apparent milk fever. Essentially, that's number one. We need to look at practical strategies by which we can convince the cow to have that bone mobilization process ready to go so that within a matter of uh, hour, two hour, three hours after she calves, or we milk her for the first time, that bone mobilization calcium is up and cranking. But as I mentioned briefly before, the other important process that we also need to make sure is um, warmed up and ticking over, ready to go a couple of uh, weeks out before calving, is of course making sure that the ability by which the cow actively takes up calcium from the diet inside her small intestine is ramped up and ready to go. So the other two key things we need to have idling over, it's a bit like warming up a got a, a kickstart old, old two-wheeler motorbike cold in the morning and the first time you kick started it doesn't start so you kick it kick it kick it you know if it hasn't had a service for a while and then once it's warmed up and started away you go so encouraging the cow to start mobilizing calcium and having that process underway and also active uptake of dietary calcium from the small intestines we need to have that, all that idling over so it's like kickstarting your bike on a cold morning kick start it leave it idling for a while and, and uh, turn it off again and then kickstart it again, it starts perfectly. So when we look at most of our practical uh, on-farm strategies to help Mother Nature's ability to quickly get mo- bone mobilisation happening to release calcium to, to hold up blood levels and also to, to get that active uptake of calcium from the intestine starting, what we need to do is understand the actual mechanisms um, of kickstarting those two, two processes. First up, probably the best illustration of how this mechanism can actually work really effectively is let's first look at your heifers calving down for the first time. Now, you're going to say, Charlotte, come on now, heifers don't go down with milk fever. Yeah, boom, you nailed that one. And to be fair, um, it's really rare uh, for heifers to go down with milk fever, even though, bizarrely, some of your uh, higher-producing heifers if we blood sample them, up to 25% might have a small and very brief dip in blood calcium just at the point of calving. But as you guys really, really well know, it's unlikely that heifers are actually going to go down. And I suppose understanding why your heifers don't go down with milk fever is part of illustrating what we're trying to achieve. Because how cool would it be if all of our mixed age cows were like our heifers and didn't go down with milk fever? Wouldn't that be magnificent? Well, 
The reason, and I guess we were aiming to here, is understanding why heifers don't go down is because they're still growing. And because they're still growing and what we call uh, remodeling bone as they grow, because obviously bones have to continue to increase in length while they're getting taller and stronger. And because of that, the bones are laying down calcium and then resorbing it. So it's remodeling. So there's a high turnover of calcium in those bones. So when a heifer calves down for the first time, for sure, she's not going to make as much colostrum as your mixed-age cows, but she is going to still have a uh, quite a drain on her calcium reserves, given that, remember, less than 2% of calcium is in the blood and extracellular fluid. But the reason she won't tip over is because her bone remodeling and laying down and uh, redissolving and turning over is continuously happening because she's young and growing. And therefore, when she's got a sudden drain on calcium for her colostrum at first milking, her bones are super fast and super cool to immediately start releasing calcium from her bones because she's young. Cool. How cool is that? So let's translate that, I guess, to our mixed-age cows, our girls, older girls. Now, of course, older cows are always more prone to milk fever or low calcium for a range of reasons. They produce more milk on average. Older cows uh, can be less efficient at, at ramping up the improved or more efficient uptake of calcium from their diet. There's a range of other factors why old cows aren't quite as good and why they're at greater risk of milk fever. But essentially, old cows, remember... They're not like your heifers, they're no longer growing and for sure they've got a little bit of turning over of bone tissue but it's nothing like the extent that happens in a young heifer who's still growing. So of course when a mixed age cow calves, if she's not set up correctly in the springer mob, that bone isn't as ready and willing to mobilise uh, bone tissue, including calcium, but also phosphorus, compared to our clever heifers. So that's one of several reasons why mixed-age cows are more likely to uh, get go down with um, low calcium at calving. This brings us to the point of turning this into some practical strategies and particularly drilling down into why mixed-age cows are slow to start remodelling bone and slow to start more efficiently absorbing calcium from the diet. So let's look at a number of strategies because as I said before, there's no one prescriptive approach to it. The number one way that we need to help Mother Nature start to kickstart, the old bloody two-wheeler on a cold morning needs to kickstart that bone mobilisation of calcium, also phosphorus, but calcium. Now the number one thing we have to get right and there's no point going into fancy anionic salt strategies or anything else like that. First up, number one, is to sort out your magnesium supplementation strategies for your springer cows. Now, you're going to be going, Charlotte, what are you talking about? Well, aren't we talking about calcium? Well, yes, you've boom, you've nailed that one as well. We're very much talking about calcium, but just hang in there for a couple of moments to explain or understand why on earth we're talking about magnesium and the role that it plays in calcium metabolism. Well, magnesium does a whole range of important things for the cow, so you can go back to the magnesium episode if you want to have a refresher on magnesium for cows through calving. The most important thing that magnesium does from a point of view of helping the cow look after her calcium status is that magnesium is needed to be uh, present in adequate amounts within the cow to activate a really important hormone 
that the cow needs in order to not only tell her bones to start mobilising calcium before calving to kickstart the old two-wheeler on a cold morning, but also that magnesium plays a really important role in other aspects around calcium metabolism. So the hormone that we're talking about here is called parathyroid hormone. Let's shorten that up to PTH for short. Less likely to trip over that as a tongue twister. And essentially, if a cow is deficient in magnesium heading into calving, she won't have her PTH present in the amounts nor in the activated state that it needs to be in to encourage a cow to start mobilising calcium from bones. Uh, If we have less activity of PTH, we'll also downregulate the activity of vitamin uh, D3, which is the active form of vitamin D3, that she needs to take part in improving the efficiency or active uptake of calcium from the small intestine. So PTH is important for both of that, and magnesium makes the the PTH world go round, if you'd like, and without magnesium, the PTH doesn't work, and therefore she gets milk fever. And this is, I suppose, explaining while we sometimes, with a very, very, very severe magnesium deficiency, will still see... Uh, clinical signs of hypomagnesemia very occasionally. So that's when they can simply drop dead with grass in their mouth, suddenly found dead, uh, or actually convulse and go down and thrash with a very loud heartbeat. All of those things, we can sometimes see that, but this is essentially why most cases of magnesium deficiency in New Zealand dairy cows will present as low blood calcium. So here's the number one practical take-home when we want to do the right thing by our Springer cows and make sure that they are ready to go and able to mobilise calcium before calving is to make sure that they are not deficient in magnesium. And the other way around is we need to make sure we don't overdose cows with magnesium to Springer cows and indeed to colostrum and milkers because by acting in a different mechanism, that will actually also cause milk fever, low blood calcium. So that magnesium is a bit of a trick. Too low causes low blood calcium and too high causes low blood calcium. We're going to come back to uh, that magnesium point a little later on. The second approach to helping our Springer cows start to prime up or to ready her calcium mobilisation and calcium absorption from the diet uh, as they head into calving relates to an approach that you might well heard of over the years and that's an approach that talks about the DCAD of the Springer diet. Now DCAD stands for what's termed the dietary cationic anionic difference so DCAD DCAD and this relates wholly solely to the Springer diet and not to decad of other parts of a diet within the production and reproductive cycle of the cow. Now in terms of decad, it's worthy of a podcast all by itself and by all means uh, shout out if you'd like a decad podcast as a standalone but in brief here is that decad is calculated based on the different feed analyses of your Springer diet and essentially the calculation is based on the content or amount of sodium, potassium, sulfur and chloride of the diet and that's where we have cations which are sodium and potassium and anions which are sulfur and chloride. Now the aim when we're developing a a Springer diet 
if you follow the DCAD approach to reducing milk fever, and that's an if because there are other different ways to attack challenges of low calcium in cows just before, through and after calving, is that we want to target an ideally negative DCAD or a, a low positive DCAD for the Springer diet with the aim to create a slight metabolic acidosis, or in other words, within the blood and the internal fluids of the cow, we want a little bit more acid in the blood than normal. Now, in theory, the slight metabolic acidosis sets the scene, if you'd like, for a primed up, ready-to-go bone calcium mobilisation process, so that if we get a negative DCAD or a, a low positive DCAD spring a diet, when the cow calves down, she's much more able to quickly and readily mobilise calcium out of her bones. As I say, this is a whole podcast in its own right, but essentially that slight metabolic acidosis we can monitor for by collecting Springer dairy cow urine samples and doing urine pH. So you might have heard of that, you might have had your vets on farm over the years doing that, um, but again, another topic, another day. And again, in terms of the mechanism of how it works, what we're trying to do is to, in response to a slight metabolic acidosis, the cow acidifies her urine, more hydrogen, H plus is going into the urine, and it just happens to take calcium with it. Another story, another day. If uh, you sat around with a few beers with a few mates uh, that enjoy a bit of dairy nutrition chat, you'll find that some people swear by... Um, a low DCAD as an approach for springers and absolutely define that that is the only and best way to prevent milk fever through calving. And that's fine because, as I said before, there are different approaches to preventing low calcium or minimising the extent of low calcium when cows first calf. Now, if on the other hand, other people around the table having a beer don't or appear less enthused about DCAD, that's fine too and they may have some other approach simply by managing, for example, getting less pasture in the diet because pasture is very high decad, putting more maize silage into the diet, so that's low decad. There's a lot of different opinions out there, so yeah, um, either I'll cover decad or because it's such a contentious topic, we can always bring in a, a guest speaker who's more specialised in this area. But essentially, no more about decad, but summing up, yep, it's about trying to drop the decad, which is getting fewer cations. Uh, lower levels of sodium and potassium, so avoiding effluent paddocks that tend to have a lot of potassium, um, avoiding high potassium feeds, those sorts of things. And so getting fewer cations in the diet and more anions. And there you might go, ah, light bulb moment, anionic salts. Yep, you got it. So when you talk about anionic salts and a lot of proprietary Springer diets, that's why what they're trying to do is to get more sulfur and more chloride into the diet of your Springer cows. So in the interest of time, we'll keep moving on, but acknowledging that DCAT is but one approach, and um, it's probably more popular overseas than in New Zealand, because certainly where you have a total mixed ration Springer diet that's based, for example, on quite a bit of maize or corn silage, it's on grain, and other low DCAD feeds, it's actually easy to get negative DCAD in the Springer diet. But here in New Zealand, the majority of our cows carve outdoors, the majority of our cows have quite a bit of pasture in the Springer diet. And unfortunately, pasture, ryegrass-based pasture particularly, is notorious for being 
high positive decad, particularly if a lot of potash, a lot of potassium has gone on in the food over the years, or something like whey has been applied to paddocks uh, as a way to get rid of whey from dairy factories and the like. Here in New Zealand, we do have a lot of very high potassium diets, and it's hard to use decad in isolation from other approaches to successfully get decad low enough to prevent milk fever. We'll move on to point number three as an approach to reducing risk of milk fever and cows at calf by manipulating the spring cow diet. Now this third theory is around one again focusing on trying to trigger the cow's built-in mother nature system to start mobilising calcium from the bones well before she calves and also to improve the efficiency of absorption of calcium uh, in the small intestine. So essentially by doing that, what we're trying to tell the cow is that uh, to tell her inbuilt monitoring system that, oh, whoa, hang on a minute, I've got low calcium going in the spring of diet. Therefore, Mother Nature's saying, oh, even though I've not calved yet, I really think I need to start to crank up my bone mobilization process to start to release calcium. And I think I need to start cranking up the efficiency with which I'm going to absorb calcium out of the small intestine. So... Essentially, that's the method to the madness, if you'd like, of this third approach to uh, reducing risk of milk fever, which is the feeding of low calcium diets. In other words, a, a springer diet that contains low levels of calcium. And when we say how low is low, well, ideally we'd be targeting a springer diet that contains less than 0.4% of calcium on a dry matter basis. This is where the practical problem, particularly here in New Zealand, where we do have a lot of pasture in our diet, is that most of our pasture-based diets and our other supplementary feeds, such as uh, grass silage, for example, certainly lucerne silage, it contains not only a lot of calcium, but also uh, potassium, so that, that wrecks the decad thing as well, is that it's very hard to construct very low calcium diets here in New Zealand and particularly when we think about maize silage which is probably uh, my favourite feed for trying to get calcium levels low in a springer diet because that can be as low as 0.2 to 0.25% of calcium. However there's, there's obviously some other challenges with maize silage sometimes inadvertently we may end up with uh, protein being too low, uh, magnesium being too low and other things, another discussion another day about maize silage diets for springers but the other problem is of course when we get further south as we head down to the southern regions of New Zealand we're less likely to have maize silage available to us as a way to construct springer diets that are low in calcium. So essentially it's it's hard to effectively and consistently grow maize to the point of having enough to uh, contribute to a major part of dairy cow diets in the lower South Island of New Zealand. Another aspect around this third point about uh, setting up a springer diet, trying to prevent low blood calcium in cows at calving, uh, has focused over the years on and off on additives that we can add to the springer cow diet that bind up calcium in the springer cow diet. So whilst the levels might be higher than 0.4% of dry matter calcium in the springer diet, the rationale here is that by binding it, less gets absorbed and uh, more goes out the back end predominantly in the dung. 
So the rationale here with calcium binders is just like trying to feed a low-calcium diet in that uh, we're aiming to kick off Mother Nature's monitoring of calcium levels in the blood. So the cow then kicks into action, you know, Mother Nature's ability to improve the efficiency of absorption of calcium from the diet and, of course, the bone mobilisation process we've mentioned a few times now. More about these products. Um, here at the Ruben Room, we don't like to specifically endorse products, but there is one that I'm going to mention and perhaps get a, an ex-colleague of mine from Australia to join us about and talk about because she's the expert on this. But essentially, where attempts have been made over the years to have calcium binders in the diet of Springer cows to push down the calcium uptake from the diet, usually we assume that's just to do with calcium. And there's a product uh, called uh, Exelit that's entered the market and initially this product focused on binding calcium in Springer diets and working therefore to kickstart that whole ability of the cow to start to improve the efficiency of absorption of calcium from the diet and of course the bone mobilisation process. Some recent research uh, work from the Exelit crew is that showing that it's not necessarily the ability of a binder such as Exelit to bind calcium in the Springer diet. Binders are suspected to be binding phosphorus in the Springer diet. And actually it's not so much the calcium binding process of Exelit, but it's also, and most importantly and more likely, that by binding phosphorus in the Springer diet and therefore reducing the supply of phosphorus to the cow is actually improving bone mobilisation in the cow before calving. But it's using a different mechanism to how we previously thought calcium has been mobilised before calving. I guess on this point of, before we leave this point around phosphorus, is that it's pretty important to understand the necessity to ideally not, and this is important, not supplement springer cows with phosphorus. Now, for us here in New Zealand, I'm probably stressing this point quite clearly because for a lot of you who are currently feeding a particular annual forage crop called fodder beet, or perhaps you've fed it in the past and you're familiar with the use of phosphorus supplements to far-off dry cows, in other words, non-springer dry cows when they're eating fodder beet, will be pretty familiar with the use of phosphorus supplementation because the bulb of fodder beets can contain very low levels of phosphorus. It's very variable, but a proportion of uh, crops with very low on phosphorus. So, yep, we're all used to having a bit of DCP or other products in the shed to supplement with phosphorus. Now, we've got to be a little bit careful because you think, well, okay, hypothetically, we'll say they've been on fodder beet over the winter. Maybe we should still continue to feed phosphorus in the springer mob. Look, I'll leave the specific recommendations around that up to your vet and to your qualified dairy nutritionist. But here's my opinion, but disclaimer alert, this is not designed to override uh, the advice of rural professionals on farm, but here's my recommendation is that you do not supplement your Springer cows with a phosphorus supplement. And the reason, a little bit of physiology here that I'm going to justify this, and again, full shout out to Exelit and all of their R&D work they've done internationally to understand how Excel it's probably working, which is binding and, and reducing phosphorus availability to Springer cows, is that if we have a high phosphorus level in the Springer diet, and that might be by you in a very well-meaning way 
supplementing your springs with phosphorus, what happens is that the, well, Mother Nature's monitoring levels of phosphorus just like she has um, levels of uh, calcium in, in, the, in the cow, in the springer cow. And what happens if the cow detects that there's high phosphorus levels floating around in the blood of the cow, the cow will produce a hormone called uh, FGF23. Not even going to um, read out to you what that stands for. But this is a hormone that, that many people that have been around industry for a long time may not have heard of. And what that hormone does is it tries to drop blood phosphorus levels, obviously to try and keep the levels of blood phosphorus within a normal range. Now the problem is, is that when we end up with elevated levels of FGF23 hormone in the blood of your springers, what that will also do is knock on the head the cow's ability to absorb dietary calcium before calving, which isn't ideal. So what we want to do is keep springer diet levels of phosphorus to ideally less than 0.4% of dry matter. And that seems to be the sweet spot where there's enough phosphorus for the cow, but not so much that we inadvertently shut down the cow's ability to absorb calcium from the diet, or we will increase risk of milk fever if we have too much phosphorus in the springer's diet. Now another strategy is it's sometimes discussed on farm is the complete reverse to the one we talked about, which was to do with calcium levels in the Springer diet. Now we've already talked about how low levels of calcium can be good because it tells the cow that she needs to be starting to mobilise calcium and absorb it more efficiently from the diet. So now we're going to go the other extreme, which is... One approach to managing milk fever incidence or prevalence in freshly calved cows that is followed by some people, which is instead of restricting levels of dietary calcium to the springers, instead we actually flood the springer diet with a heap of calcium, lots and lots of calcium. And so what we're talking about here is targeting levels of calcium in the springer diet of greater than 1.6% calcium. In other words, that's more than 16 grams of calcium per kilogram dry matter of springer diet. Now, the aim of this is simply to flood the diet and the cow with so much calcium that the springer cow no longer needs to take up calcium across the wall of his small intestine using what's called an active uptake process. Instead, we just chock so much calcium into the springer diet that there's a passive diffusion of calcium across the wall of the small intestine. We just kind of short circuit and go around the need for the active uptake process. Now, there's a real caveat, a real buyer's beware. Be very careful before trying this process and or ideally involve a very clever rural professional who's going to work with you on this one. Now, the potential catches with this approach, essentially we'll outline them now. Remember that if we need low calcium levels, we need less than 0.4% of calcium in the diet. And now we're promoting a different approach, which is to flood the calcium in at greater than 1.6% of calcium. Now, either of those extreme approaches can, under some circumstances, reduce risk of milk fever in, in your cows. But here's the trick. If we end up somewhere between 0.4% of calcium in the springer diet and 1.6% calcium, so let's say you chuck a fair bit of calcium in and you end up kind of in a, a, a area in between too low and too high and you end up with like 1 or 1.2% 1 calcium, that's actually what we 
call the high milk fever risk zone where you will ironically end up causing more milk fever and you've probably all been in the zone where inadvertently you've had high levels of calcium in your spring of pastures you know maybe that's autumn calving cows that there's still a lot of clovers present in the pasture or whatever so if we end up somewhere inadvertently, this is by mistake, between 0.4% of calcium in the spring of diet and we haven't reached that magic 1.6% calcium or higher to flood the cow with calcium, we end up in that horrible zone where we will increase risk of milk fever. Now, being stuck in that horrible zone of you know maybe 1% to 1.2% of calcium, particularly if the decad of your spring of diet is also higher than ideal, which is often the case for pasture-fed uh, springer cows here in New Zealand, the combined high decad and that awful risk of being stuck in that mid-zone calcium levels, we are prone to greatly increased risk of milk fever. If you are deciding which way to go, either very high calcium to flood the amount of calcium in the springer cow's diet or very low, please do talk to your qualified dairy nutritionist and vet about this approach. Um, rather than just grabbing heaps and heaps of bags of lime flour and bunging them all into the springer diet because to do the flooding calcium approach you need to do a lot of feed testing of your springer cow diets to understand not only existing levels of calcium but also the decat rather than just bunging in a whole heap of calcium particularly heaven forbid lime flour and I guess while we talk about the use of calcium in springer cow diets before we move away from that, let's of course touch briefly on the different types of calcium to use in springer diets if, and that's a big uh, capital if underlined, uh, bolded, if you're going to put calcium into the diet, it's appropriate to again seek advice from your nutritionist and vet because if you're looking at sources of calcium, Ideally, we will use uh, one of two different sources of calcium and hold the thought around why we don't want to use lime flour. Now, if we look at the types of calcium, if it is indicated to put calcium into the diet, and this could be the case with maize silage, it might be too low in calcium. And for example, you've got cows going down with the calf still inside them, they haven't even calved, then your vet or nutritionist might recommend calcium and they would be recommending what we call gypsum or calcium sulfate. Now, gypsum or calcium sulfate contains 23% elemental calcium, but as well as that, the sulfate part of gypsum also means that the product is negative decad, which of course is useful if you are trying to lower decad in addition to adding calcium. The other sometimes used approach, but again, this needs to be done carefully, very carefully, is using a product called calcium chloride, not commonly used here in New Zealand. Whilst it's a source of calcium and also very low decad, so again, if you're chasing the decad approach to managing milk fever risk in your, in your spring of diet, it's very useful, but unfortunately, it's extremely bitter as a feed additive. And that's why, for most of us here in New Zealand, where we don't necessarily have a mixer wagon that's been used to feed springers, we don't use calcium chloride and as well as that even if we were going with a partial mixed ration or total mixed ration we can't put too much calcium chloride in just because of that bitterness and we don't want to back cows off from eating their springer diet. So I've already mentioned lime flour and the perils of that as a source of calcium used for increasing calcium levels in the springer diet. 
lime flower, sorry, I'll just back up the bus on that. Yeah, it's a New Zealand term. Uh, if you're listening in from Australia, you probably know it more as straight lime, but let's define it uh, correctly, which is calcium carbonate. Now, depending on the source of your calcium carbonate, your lime flower or lime, it will contain on average perhaps 35% elemental calcium, so more per gram or kilogram than gypsum. But we need to look at the other part of lime flour, aside from calcium, which is of course carbonate. Now the carbonate is what we call alkalizing, and what that means is if you're following the DCAD theory around reducing risk of milk fever in your cows using anionic salts and the like, that lime flour can work against DCAD if you're trying to reduce DCAD in the diet for your springers, which is why I would strongly say don't use lime flour for springers, particularly for us here in New Zealand. However, and we can bend the rules sometimes, but only under the, the guidance of, of a clever nutritionist and vet working with you, if you do already have a negative DCAD springer diet, like minus 100 or better, you might get away with the use of lime flour. And that would be more the case where you've got a full TMR that's been specifically designed to reduce DCAD. However, just to reiterate, please do check this point with your qualified nutritionist and vet. And this decision to use lime flour would have to be supported by lots of feed testing of your Springer diet ingredients. So finishing up on this brief overview of a dietary approach to helping a cow mobilise calcium from her bones and having that process moving efficiently by the time she calves, as well as of course the absorption of calcium from the diet, is the use or consideration of vitamin D3 supplementation in the diet. Now the aim of this being here is to improve the efficiency of calcium mobilisation from the bones and also improved efficiency of calcium uptake from the diet by having more uh, vitamin D3, which is the active or activated form of, of vitamin D3. Now the indications uh, for the inclusion of vitamin D3 in the diet varies greatly depending on a great number of things, including uh, the nutritional makeup of the diet, whether you have preformed vitamin D in the diet already, and of course whether a cow is housed or outside in sunlight because the cow can make her own activated vitamin D3 in the presence of sunlight and vitamin D3 in the diet of springers may be uh, a greater degree of indication if your, your cows are housed and, and also um, feeds that contain low levels of vitamin D3 and that's something that your very own vet or qualified dairy nutritionist can talk to uh, you more about. That's calcium. So Sorry that this has been a long podcast, but I thought it was easier if we try and box up the different strategies that people like to attack around changing the Springer diet to reduce risk of cows that go down immediately at calf and quite often while they're still in the Springer paddock uh, with a fresh steaming calf at a, at a feet. Summing up, there's a range of different factors. For many of you who don't have a, a high incidence of milk fever, it's very much about getting your magnesium status right because remember magnesium is used to get that PTH hormone activated, which is very important for mobilising uh, bone calcium and improving uptake of calcium from the diet. For many of you with low incidence of milk fever, that's all you're going to ever have to do. We talked about the DCAD very, very briefly, acknowledging it's a very large topic in its own right. We talked about low calcium. We talked about that low calcium binders such as Exelit. We're not promoting or advocating that product, but just that they've done very good work showing that calcium binders may not necessarily be just about binding calcium, but binding phosphorus 
because high phosphorus in Springer diets will, by a different mechanism to, uh, to DCAD, will increase risk of milk fever, which is why here in New Zealand, just because you're using phosphorus uh, supplements on far-off dry cow diets, personally, I would not advocate it for a Springer diet unless that has been directly recommended specifically for you by your qualified nutritionist and vet. As well as that, we've talked about chucking a lot of calcium in and some of the pros and cons of that. But essentially, that's us done and dusted for another Room and Room podcast to recap is that this podcast is not and will never be intended to be prescriptive for your situation in any way. Rather, the focus is to discuss different approaches of modifying the Springer dairy cow diet with your vet and your qualified dairy nutritionist to make sure that any changes that you make to the Springer diet is definitely going to work for your cows and your situation and your diet that you are feeding your Springer cows with. And of course, milk fever management is very much about colostrum management as well. Another topic, another day. But anyway, as always, look, thanks so much for joining us once again. Really appreciate you taking time out amongst your busy day and uh, or hopefully that you've been multitasking and listening in while, while you're working at what can be a very busy time of the year through spring. But in the meantime, hope that you can join us again for our next Room and Room podcast that we'll be releasing again as soon as we can. But in the meantime, appreciate you joining us. Look forward to hearing from you soon. My name's Charlotte Westwood, and on behalf of myself and our sponsors, PGG Rights and Seeds, we do hope that you have an awesome day out and about whatever you're up to. Cheers. Cheers.